Hello and welcome to Radical Simple Living. This is episode 40 of series 1 and it's the last episode of series 1. I'm going to take a break for a couple of weeks. I've got a few ideas I want to work on and I'll be back in the near future with series 2. So some of you have been very noble and have stayed with these podcasts all the way through from the beginning. And I know a lot of you have written to me and said you've done this and I'm so grateful to you. Some of you have dipped in now and then and some of you this will be the first episode you ever hear. If it is the first episode you ever hear, then uh, it might be a useful one because you can listen in now and then go back over some of the back catalogue and find some things that you might be interested in. And if you're listening and you're a long-term listener and you think that somebody might be interested in this podcast, this is the episode to send them because this will really sum up all I've had to say and introduce maybe some new ideas to you. So if you know somebody that might want to listen, hey, why not invite them? Send them a link and see what they make of it. Also, You can send this as a link if there's somebody you know that will absolutely disagree with every word I say, just to brighten their day up. Okay. Now, I should start by saying that I don't have anything to sell by pushing simple living. I've been here for 40 episodes talking about aspects of simple living, talking about all kinds of aspects of simple living, but I'm not trying to sell it from any political point of view. A lot of simple living material you find comes from a particular background. It might be from a a Christian background, or it might be from a prepper background, or it might be from a a politically very green background. And I'm not pushing any of those aspects. Those are things you have to make up for yourself. The real thing I'm pushing is the idea that you have to explore your own life and find ways to make it more simple to simplify, to make it less complicated. And this brings us back to the three big ideas that have been what this series is all about, really. Three things that you need to do, three reasons that you need to explore about why simple living is a good idea for you. And when I say it's a good idea for you, I think it's a good idea for everybody, but I'm biased. First of all, is the idea of simplifying itself, the idea of making yourself less complicated. Now, complexity is one of those things we seem to take for granted. We seem to assume that complexity has to be an aspect of modern life. And my response to that is, no, it doesn't. We can all make our lives less complicated. And the process of simplicity is just to look at your life, not at other people's, to look at your life and find ways that you can start to make it simpler and in the process of doing that, make it better. Now, a lot of people talk about simplicity, although uh, uh, it's some kind of destination. Oh, I can be simple. I can work towards being simple. Whereas really, it's a journey. And like all journeys, it depends where you start from. If you're living... Um, uh, in a high-rise luxury mansion in Manhattan, making your life more simple is going to be different than somebody that's living in a 
a small modest house on a homestead somewhere. If you are incredibly wealthy and have a high power job and a high power car and a high power house, your journey to simplicity isn't starting from the same place as somebody who doesn't have those things. So we have to bear that in mind. But simplifying your life is making it less complex. If your relationships are complex, if your personal transactions are complex, if your emotional life is complex, if your business life is complex, try to make it simpler. And quite often that involves looking at what you do and deciding what you don't want to do anymore. Deciding this is a part of my life that I can do without. I'm a great devotee of Arthur Gish. Arthur Gish was a man who uh, died some years ago who really did expound the ideas of simple living in his wonderful book called Beyond the Rat Race. Now, Beyond the Rat Race, you could get very easily at one time. Now, it's becoming harder to get. But if you do find a copy, pick it up. It's, it was published in North America and not anywhere else in the world. So it's much easier for you if you live in the States or Canada than to find it in Europe or Australia, New Zealand, etc. Here's what Arthur Gish said as a way of starting on uh, a route to simplicity. I quote, Throw away your status hang-ups. Forget about being respectable in society's eyes. Much of your money is now probably spent to give you respectability. Don't be embarrassed to do things that save money. Begin to drop out of the rat race. Think of those things you despise most in the establishment and begin to remove yourself from them. Don't support them or contribute to them any longer. End of quote. Now, I did quote that earlier on in the in the season and so you may be familiar with that it also occurs on my blog called hey quaker which is full of inspirational quotes about simple living but the main message to you is start to explore your life start to examine it start to see what you can leave behind and if you want to start somewhere today why not start with social media if you're on five social media platforms get it down to three. If you're on three, get it down to two. If you're on two, get it down to one. If there are people on those social media platforms that regularly irritate or annoy you, drop them. You don't owe them anything, just drop them. Okay, consider moving away from social media a few days a week or giving it a break for a month or two. You won't be any worse person and it will give you thinking space to develop your ideas of simplicity a little bit more. So after making your life less complicated, the next big ideal of simple living is to develop some kind of spiritual enlightenment. Now, I did say at the beginning, I'm not pushing any particular standpoint on this, and it doesn't matter where your spiritual enlightenment comes from. Maybe just living a simple life for its own purpose is going to be good enough. Maybe you are a Muslim or a Buddhist or a pagan or a Christian and you want to explore excuse me a minute a cat's doing something naughty I'm sorry about that a very naughty cat there exploring spirituality doesn't mean 
that your road is going to be the same as anybody else's. It doesn't mean your direction of travel is going to be the same as anybody else's, but it does mean you have to spend some time thinking about what your aims are. To be a more spiritual person might be for you just doing what you do more slowly, doing what you do more thoughtfully, doing what you do more carefully, and being aware of the time you're in and how much you can gain from the moment itself. Or it might mean following some philosophical route that has been planned out by somebody else and you're eager to follow in their footsteps. It doesn't matter. But I will say I don't think you can truly live a simple life unless that spiritual aspect is taken care of. And if you think I don't need any spiritual aspects in my life, uh, okay, that's up to you. But do think about it first. The third aspect of simple living that we have to embrace is that we do not live in a vacuum. Um, you cannot live in a box and say, I'm going to be very simple in my box. If all the rubbish you produce in your box, you're throwing out of the box. That you're taking in things, taking what you want and throwing away the waste. You can't live in a box if the pollution from your box, the waste products that you produce, are simply tossed out into the environment. And you can't live in a box if the rest of the planet is steadily destroying itself. So to be simple, to live a simple life, you have to be environmentally aware and you have to make sure that your contributions to the environment are positive, you're doing things to help, and that if you're doing things to the environment that have a negative effect, you've got to stop doing those. Now, for most of us that live in so-called Western society, we've got a big journey here to make sure that we're not taking more from the planet that we're putting back and to make sure that we're not polluting the planet with our waste materials and waste products. So that is a real thing to focus on and think about. There's three aspects, making life less complicated, developing a spiritual awareness of simplicity and being a good citizen of the planet and that you don't trash it for everybody else. And these are the three things that have been a recurring theme throughout these podcasts. Now, we all have to live with the past. We all have to live with the past and part of your uh, road to simplicity, uh, possibly the spiritual aspect of it, possibly the environmental aspect of it, and certainly the complexity aspect of it, is we need to look at the legacy of the past and what it's done. Now, there are those people that say the past doesn't matter at all, and they are wrong because we still live every day with the legacy of the past. Let's just take one example of that. Let's take slavery. Now, slavery, I'm hope all listeners to this podcast will agree, is one of the worst things ever done. I think it was Myra Angelou, I'm not getting the quote exactly, I haven't got it written down here, but she said slavery is worse than kidnapping, murder and rape because slavery encompassed those three crimes. It encompassed kidnapping, it encompassed um, rape, and it encompassed murder. 
So we need to think about things that happened in the past like slavery and how those affect our lives. Now, if you're an Afro-American and you find yourself living somewhere in the States, maybe you're living there because your uh, relatives were slaves, because they were brought to America against their will. And many people that live in Western Europe, in France and in Britain and in Holland, who find themselves the victims of colonialism and slavery. In a lot of Western European countries got the idea that we all, you know, slavery is a bad thing, but we don't mind it happening in our colonies. We don't want it happening on our doorstep, so it will frighten the children and people will see it. But we don't mind if it happens in some island a long way away in the West Indies or something when we can get away with it. So uh, I don't want anybody thinking that slavery is one of these things you can blame on Americans. It's one of these things you can blame on everybody, pretty much. And we live with it. Many of us live in cities in the West that were built with the proceeds of slavery. Many of us still live uh, and work for companies. We bank with companies. We use the products of companies that owe their foundation to slavery. Now, we can't forget slavery. It is the past. It has affected us. We could also look at something like the Industrial Revolution that started in Britain. And if my history teacher was right, the Industrial Revolution in Britain was from 1760 to 1830. That's a vast oversimplification, but those dates stay in my head. The Industrial Revolution was a major factor in modern history. It took people away from a rural lifestyle and placed them working in a factory or working in a coal mine, working in a cotton mill. It turned people not into slaves in the fact that we think about people taken from Africa and turned into slaves. It enslaved people with low wages and poor conditions. It enslaved people with hunger. It enslaved people with the idea that you can be involved in the manufacture of goods, but you yourself become a commodity. And it dehumanised people, and it started the major pollution of the planet. The coal that was burned to produce um, heat, to run engines, the coal that was burned to produce iron and steel, the coal that was burnt to warm the houses of the workers, the coal that was pumped out to run cotton mills and linen mills and wool mills, eventually added to the pollution of the planet, the increase in global carbon dioxide levels that we're still living with. Not least of which, in order to feed those factories and to feed the Industrial Revolution, that's why slavery was operating. Slavery in the southern states of the USA was produced cotton, and much of that cotton was sent across the Atlantic to England in particular, where it was woven in factories uh, to produce cheap clothing, cheap cloth for the world. Now, we can't go back, we can't turn back the clock and say, well, maybe we need a more enlightened approach to uh, human beings and how we use them. We need an enlightened approach to slavery. We need an enlightened approach to the Industrial Revolution. We can't do anything about it, but we can make sure that we are aware that what 
people do has an effect on the future. Now I say this because many people will openly agree that what people did in the past um, has an effect on what we do now, but they don't seem to think what we do now is going to have any effect on the future. And it's going to have an enormous effect on the future, on our lives, on our children's lives, on our grandchildren's lives. So we need to explore those aspects of our life that are incompatible with handing over a good planet to our children and we need to do something about it. We live at a time of enormous change and change goes in many directions. You might think change can be good or change can be bad but actually some changes seem good at the time but are actually bad in the long term. Go back to the 1950s and 60s where aerosol cans became apparent. All of a sudden, instead of having to use your planet-destroying insecticide in a, a plunger fly sprayer, you could kill insects and destroy the planet with an aerosol one. And we know that those aerosols played their part in the depletion of the ozone layer, something which is now um, improving, I'm glad to say. But did the people that developed those aerosol cans know that the propellants they were using, the CFCs, were going to destroy the ozone layer and cause vast numbers of people to contract skin cancer? No, they didn't. But we should have been more careful. We're too eager to grasp hold of new things and look only at the positive things they do and not look at the negative things they do. Those people who in the 1930s decided to add lead to petrol in order to stop engines knocking, in order to make lower grade fuel burn more smoothly. Did they know that inner city children in the 1960s and the 1970s and the 1980s were going to be suffering from the effects of lead poisoning? No, they didn't. But we should have been more careful. We should have spent longer looking at it we should have spent longer exploring the problems. We can't live in a world where we just let technological change happen without questioning the ethics of it. Now, at the moment, there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is one of these things where there's a great diversity of thought, where some people say, oh, artificial intelligence is going to wreck the planet and all sorts of things you've heard people saying. Now, other people are saying, no, artificial intelligence is wonderful, it'll make life better. The truth probably lies somewhere between those two extremes, doesn't it? It probably lies in the fact that we do not recognise what effects artificial intelligence will have, and we can listen to one point of view or listen to another, but the real truth is we don't know. And sooner or later, we've got to realise if we don't know, the best thing we can do is hold back. Now, holding back on technological change is a difficult thing to do, but we have to do it. The Amish are a group of people who held back on lots of technological change. They do use washing machines. Most of them do, but they don't use mains electricity to do that. They just have a little generator on wash day that they use. They do use pocket calculators. Their children are taught to use pocket calculators in school. They don't use computers in the home. They don't use cars. They do use a horse and buggy. 
So what we see there is a group of people who have explored technological changes and decided to cherry pick. Now, you, you may not agree with the Amish and lots of people write and tell me all sorts of things, the reasons why they don't approve of the Amish. And that's fine. You don't have to approve what the Amish do. But what you can do is learn lessons from them. And one of the main lessons we can use is embracing technological change absolutely is not a good idea. We should slow down, we should look at it, we should talk about it, we should debate it, we should do an assessment of what those risks can be. We can ask the big question, and the real big question is, do we really need this? So next time you are thinking of investing in a new gadget, ask yourself that question, do I really need this? And if the answer is yes, then try and find a way you can do it without it wrecking your lives. If the answer is no, that's a wonderful answer because you don't have to buy it. So think about these things. Now, some of the things we're doing today are going to affect the future. And the future is about our children. Now, I'm recording this at the end of July in southern Sweden here. I'm surrounded by trees. I'm looking at my kitchen window. I can see nothing but trees from my kitchen window and a barn. Um, but that's good. And that's where I chose to be. And I'm happy with that. You may look out your window and see all sorts of other things. But one thing I can assure you is that you, your environment is going to change. The environment of the room you sit in and the environment outside. It has to because the planet is going through all kinds of changes. I was going to say in the last month there have been news report after news report about the effects of climate, the apparent uh, breakdown of the Gulf Stream, of records being broken for the hottest June and then the hottest July, of individual records being broken for temperatures in cities in southern Europe and in the southern USA. We've heard about flooding. We've heard about fires, particularly those in Canada. We've heard about sea temperatures increasing. Apparently the temperature off the coast of Florida is now like a hot bath. It's that warm. These things we cannot see the consequences of. We cannot recognise fully the effect they're going to have. Part of the problem at the moment is top scientists and top mathematical modellers are scrambling to work out what these changes mean. And it shouldn't surprise us that some of them come up with different answers. Like, what does the warming of the sea mean? It could mean that, it could mean this. It needn't necessarily mean things get warm if the Gulf Stream goes. Much of Western and Northern Europe is going to be a lot colder. Because we don't know what the changes are, and because we can't predict fully how those changes are going to affect us, what we have to do is teach our children and teach ourselves to be three things. First thing is we need and we need to teach our children to be brave. We need to teach them to face the future, not in dread and fear, but in the hope that we can improve things and things can be done better. Okay, they may not be jetting off over the world on holiday. They may not be living in a bigger house than you live in. They may not earn money 
more money than you do. Those things are gone. We know those have changed already. Our children are not going to be richer than we are. That's for sure. But we can teach them to be brave. We can be brave ourselves. We cannot be brave if we adopt an ostrich-like head-in-the-sand attitude to the changes that are taking place. We, as intelligent people, and I'm assuming everybody listening to this podcast is wildly intelligent, we, as intelligent people, have to set the agenda. And we have to say, bravery is one of those things we need. We need to step forward into this future, whatever it is like, and we need to work hard at making sure that it doesn't damage us more than it more than necessary. We need to make sure that people aren't left behind. We need to make sure that if there's simple things that we can do that's going to make things better for us and for our children and our children's children and everyone on the planet, we should do it. And if that means changing how you shop, if that means changing what you buy, if that means changing how you drive and changing where you spend your holidays and changing where you live and changing what you eat, don't you think that now is the time to start making those changes? As well as bravery, we need to teach our children and we need to teach ourselves to be skillful. We can't go on expecting other people to do the things that we can't do ourselves. We need to start doing those. We need to take responsibility for our own health. It's no good getting unhealthy and then expecting some technological miracle with a prescription medicine that's going to cure those things. Prescription medicines are needed for people that get ill, sure. But some of the big illnesses that happen are what people do to themselves. People smoke too much, they drink too much, they go without sleep, they become addicted to gambling, they become addicted to pornography. All these things people do to themselves. I'm not saying it's easy to break away from addiction. It's not. It's it's difficult. It's not easy to change the way you eat. It's not easy to change from being a smoker to a non-smoker, from being a person that eats very badly to a person that eats well. But we need to be skillful at making those changes for ourselves. That means the responsibility for your health isn't your doctors or your local hospital. It's you. It's you sitting down at your meal table. It's you when you go to bed at night. We need to be skillful at doing jobs for ourselves, at repairing things, at making things, uh, at recycling things, at making use of things that we find, of gardening and dressmaking and knitting and foraging and carpentry and tying knots and all these things that back in the 1950s and the 1940s, in much more austere times, people were very good at. Try and get back to learning some of those skills. Teach your children how to cook. Teach your children how to garden. Teach your children how to look after those their clothes. These things are going to help them more than some of the more esoteric things that we might come up with. Teach your children to read books. Teach your children how to use a dictionary. What if the internet doesn't work one day? Are they going to know how to find out things? Teach them. Keep a reference library of second-hand books in your home. If you've been getting rid of books over the years, start raking through charity shops, 
secondhand bookshops, finding books, introduce your children to the process of looking up things in books and finding out how to do things. It's going to be important. Teach your children and teach yourself to be flexible. If there are products that you use every day now, perhaps those products aren't going to be there. All of us in Europe are facing issues to do with the war in the Ukraine and having to do without things. I, in my house, are learning to do without more and more electricity. I've got my electricity consumption down to a very low level now. And if I can get it even lower, I will. And I've done that by looking at old ways of doing things. You can do it too. You can become skillful at finding out how to do things. You've also got to be flexible in that you can not only do without things, but you can learn those new skills, that you can accept some of the changes that are happening to us that we can do nothing about and be flexible enough to find ways around them. Be flexible about what you do for a living. Be flexible about where you live. If it means you leaving your home in the city and moving to somewhere that has a more rural environment and a garden, perhaps you want to be flexible enough to take that choice. Flexible enough to dig up your lawn and start growing vegetables. Flexible enough to have all your family eating around a meal table because that is a lot better for the environment, it's a lot better for your electricity bill and it's a lot better for your family cohesion than everybody getting a meal and going off to their rooms about it. Now, I believe fully that we need to take these choices ourselves. We need to make the change to ourselves. It is no good sitting round waiting for politicians or waiting for technologists or waiting for media magnates to change our lives. You want to change your life? Start now. Do it yourself. Politicians used to exist because they had ideals and they formed political parties and asked people to vote for them because they believed that they could persuade the public that their vision was a good one. Nowadays, politicians often exist to support themselves. Political parties exist to become re-elected, not because they have any great vision of the future, but because they want to keep their jobs, because they want to keep the power. They want to hold on to things, even though in many parts of the world, the ruling political parties have made an appalling, unbelievable mess of what they have been charged with doing. Their job was to care for societies and they have wrecked societies. And yet, when election time comes round, they want to be elected again. You can't rely on politicians. Only this week, a British ex-Prime Minister, Tony Blair, has said you can't expect people to make individual changes in their lives to uh, help protect from global warming. In other words, it's not people's responsibility, it's the responsibility of someone else out there. Well, I don't trust those people out there to make those changes. I trust people, and I think people can make those changes themselves. Being flexible is the key. I'd like to finish, if I can, with another quote from Arthur Gish. And this one is a great one, I think. This is called, well, I call it The Revolution We Seek. And again, it's found on my blog called Hey Quaker. 
Here we go, quote, We need to incorporate within our lives the revolution we seek. We not only a theory, we need not only a theory of a liberated society, but the practice of it. We need to experience the living of a new reality. Instead of talking about abstract ideals, we need to live a new life. The time has come for change and it must begin with me. End of quote. If you're unhappy about the way the planet is going, if you're unhappy with the way your country is going, if you're unhappy if the way your community is going, or if they're unhappy with the way your family is going, or unhappy with the way that you are an individual are going, do something to change it. Simplify your life. Start today. Listen to some of the past episodes of this podcast to get some directions, to get some signposts. There's not lots of practical advice, but there are lots of pointers in which way you can choose to travel. I am going to be away for a little while of time. I'm not going to be away from my home here. I'm just going to be so busy doing things that I won't have time to make a podcast for a couple of weeks. As soon as I can, this is more dependent on the weather than anything else. As soon as my summer of wood stacking and gardening and all these other things I have to do, um, canning and all these wonderful things. I'm not complaining. I love doing them. As soon as that starts to slow down, I will be back with series two. I've got lots of big ideas for series two. In the meantime, I'm going to be pushing some of the past episodes on you, so you might like to explore those. Thank you so much for staying with me today, and I hope I'll be back with you in the near future. Bye for now.